since the focus of this retreat is Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, and we were just on the 10th mystery of the Most Holy Rosary, at the heart of the Rosary, the institution of the Eucharist, I feel inspired by the Holy Spirit to share with you at this point uh, the heart of what our Holy Father, St. John Paul II, wrote for Holy Thursday, 2005, which was just a few days before he was called to his eternal reward on April 2nd of 2005. This letter was actually written by Pope John Paul II from Gemelli Hospital in Rome on March 13th, the fifth Sunday of Lent. And then he went into Holy Week. And then, as we know, on the vigil of the Divine Mercy, uh, he was called home. But the letter was for Holy Thursday. He used to write to priests every Holy Thursday. And this was in the year of the Most Holy Eucharist, this letter. And what is extremely pertinent to this mission, this retreat, is the whole letter, but uh, I want to start with the eighth of eight, eight points he makes. And speaking about the Most Holy Eucharist, in the year of the Most Holy Eucharist, to the priests, just before he's called home, he says, we are to live a Eucharistic life at the School of Mary. A quote-unquote Eucharistic life at the School of Mary. And even though this is to priests, this is to all of us, in large part, this part especially, is to all peoples, and he says, the relationship between the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Eucharist is a very close one. As I pointed out in the encyclical Ecclesia de Eucharistia, numbers 50 through, 53 through 58, that's what we've, been, we've gone through those now, pretty much. In its own sober liturgical language, every Eucharistic prayer brings out this relationship between the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Eucharist. Every Eucharistic prayer brings out this relationship. And so the Holy Father goes on to point out how in the Roman canon, Eucharistic prayer one, we say, quote, in union with the whole church, we honor Mary, 
the ever-Virgin Mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord and God, end quote. In the other Eucharistic prayers, honor leads to petition, petition. As, for example, in Eucharistic prayer 2, we have, quote, make us worthy to share eternal life with Mary, the Virgin Mother of God, end quote. So in the very Eucharistic prayers, we always have this reference to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it's not just a passing reference. I urge you, my brothers and sisters, from my heart, someday to prayerfully pray the Eucharistic prayers. Just sit before the Lord in the Eucharist and pray the Eucharistic prayers. They're so powerful. Eucharistic prayer four, which is... so profound, talking about the whole history of salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit, there's just petitions in there that you're like, wow, you know, I've not, this is beautiful. But sometimes when we're, you know, at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, even though we have, we're supposed to have full, active, and conscious participation in the Mass, uh, time to pray the Eucharistic prayers or, you know, just to sit with Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist and have him explain to you the Eucharistic prayers is so beautiful. But you'll see this reference to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so in the Roman canon, we have in union with the whole church, we honor Mary. The ever-Virgin Mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord and God. But then other Eucharistic prayers were saying, may... We hope to be worthy to share eternal life with her and blessed Joseph and the blessed apostles and the saints. We're asking to live eternally with them. St. John Paul II went on to say, In recent years, I have warmly recommended the contemplation of the face of Christ, especially in my letters Novo Millennio Inunte, and in Rosarium Virginis Mariae. And I have pointed to Mary as our great teacher. Here's, the, here's a saint speaking to us. He's pointed to Mary as our great teacher. So this, this retreat is not just some invention of, uh, 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 of Father Zachary, the mother of God, who woke up and said, uh, you know, I, I'd like to speak about these subjects. This is, you know, this is the... This is the heart and the mind of the church. Our Lady is the mother of the Eucharist. And it's important to have that relationship and let her teach you about the Eucharist. And in, maybe you're not familiar with Novo Millennio Inunte, but it's at the beginning of the third Christian millennium, St. John Paul II wrote a letter to the Catholic Church, to all the faithful, speaking about how we're supposed to live this whole third Christian millennium. So even if you lived a thousand years from the year 2000 to the year 3000, that's the program. Let's not lose sight of it. That was the program given for the third Christian millennium. Let's not just say, well, that was, you know, 19 years ago, so, you know... It's on the bookshelf. It's a program for a thousand years. And it was basically, the, some of the famous quotes were, 
Duke in Altum put out into the deep. And uh, the other part was about contemplate the face of Christ. And in, in the, the encyclical on the rosary that he refers to here, contemplate the face of Christ in the school of Mary. When you see someone's face, you, you learn a lot. Do you know that about 80% of our communication, if not more, is nonverbal? I don't need to go into all the ways that communication is nonverbal, but a lot of the way we communicate is through our face. I'm communicating, right? Or, I'm communicating, right? It was actually very challenging for me in the Philippines because Filipinos really are are attuned. Asians are attuned to your face. And when I'm thinking about something, I kind of, I get these eight crinkles on my head. I'm, you know, crinkly forehead. And they would think that I was angry. I'm just thinking, but I'm like, you know, and, and I'm just, oh, so everybody was all attentive to everything I, I would do. But if you walk in a room in, in the Philippines, you're supposed to raise your eyebrows like this, you know, to acknowledge somebody. Now, I had to be careful with that because when I came back from the Philippines and I'm walking through the airport and I saw some American women walking towards me, well, you, you can figure out the rest. You have to know where you are. But I'll never forget the seminarians. I was rector of the House of Formation for the priest in Asia. And they remember the time that they describe it this way. Father, your ears turned red. I was, I was upset. I mean, you know, but I was doing my, I really thought I was doing my best not to communicate my upset, you know, with, with any, it was a really challenging situation. But all the blood came to my head and my ears turned red, and they'll never forget that, that communicated. (laughs) But I'm sharing this with you because if you contemplate the face of Christ, you'll learn so much. Contemplate his face in the joyful mysteries. Contemplate his face in the luminous mysteries. Contemplate his face in the sorrowful mysteries. Contemplate his face in the glorious mysteries. That's what the Holy Father's getting to and keep it connected. As a matter of fact, a lot of the revelations of Jesus uh, to some blesseds was that we should actually behold his face either on Veronica's veil or other, other holy images we have of the face of Christ and see the sorrowful face of Jesus, and that will win graces for those who need conversion. He actually So remember, Therese of the child Jesus was known Therese of the child Jesus and of the holy face. And of the holy face. Contemplate the face of Christ. In the school of Mary. That's what the, that's what the rosary is.
And so in Novo Millennio Inunte also, we were told that our life should be a hymn of praise to the Most Holy Trinity. A hymn of praise. All of us are singing a song at all times. We are. A holy priest shared with me that he took a friend to the movie entitled Song of Bernadette. And he came out of the movie and he said to his friend, he said, how'd you like the movie? He said, oh, it was a great movie. He goes, but I don't know why they called it Song of Bernadette. She never sang. You understand? She sang. We're all singing. Are we singing a hymn of praise to the Most Holy Trinity? That's what we're supposed to be singing. There was a study done in Missouri where what they did is they they taped from a distance the sounds made at mealtime by people in the penitentiary, in the prison. And then they taped the sounds made by seminarians at mealtime in the seminary. And when they played it back, the sounds made by the inmates at the penitentiary, not the seminary, the the sound made by the inmates sounded like wild animals. I mean, really, when they played it back. But the sound of the seminarians was like birds singing. Our founder used to say the seminary was one of the most blessed places on earth because in the seminary, everybody should be in a state of grace or try to be in a state of grace, and that's like heaven, a foretaste of heaven, right? If we're in a state of grace here, you know, hopefully we're all, you know, this is like heaven, right? Everybody's calm. But we're singing a song. So these were some of the, the points for Novo Millennio Inunte, to sing a hymn of praise to the Most Holy Trinity by the way you live, to contemplate the face of Christ in the school of Mary, and to put out into the deep. That's the missionary aspect, okay? But relating it to the point of this retreat in, in particular, Mary is our great teacher. And so the Holy Father goes on to say, in the encyclical on the Eucharist, I spoke of her as the woman of the Eucharist. And he says, who more than Mary can help us taste the greatness of the Eucharistic mystery? Who more than Mary can help us taste the greatness of the Eucharistic mystery? Remember the, the other quote that her whole life was Eucharistic? Remember, she's the mother of the Eucharist. In fact, the Holy Father says, she more than anyone can teach us how to celebrate the sacred mysteries with due fervor and to commune with her son hidden in the Eucharist. Mary, more than anyone, can teach us how to celebrate the sacred mysteries at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass with due fervor and to commune with her Son hidden in the Eucharist. So then he went on to say, I pray to her then for all of you. 
I entrust her. I entrust to her especially the elderly, the sick, and those in difficulty. This Easter in the year of the Eucharist, I gladly repeat to each of you the gentle and consoling words of Jesus, Behold your mother. St. John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 27. Behold your mother. Now, the first seven points in this letter to priest were all based on the words in the holy canon of the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the Eucharistic prayers. Just in summary, the points were, and this is what the Eucharist teaches us, and this is what Mary teaches us that the Eucharist teaches us, our life should be a life of profound gratitude. Gratitude is the disposition which lies at the root of the very word Eucharist. The expression of thanksgiving contains the whole biblical spirituality of praise for the mirabila dei, the miracles of God, the wonder of God, who goes before us in his providence, who accompanies us with his continuous saving acts. I started off this retreat addressing how Our Lady Mother, the Eucharist, pointing us to the Eucharist is really the answer to the crisis in the world, in the church, in marriages and families, in communities within ourselves. One part of the answer to what this world is longing for, because right now there's a lot of disturbance, a lot of polarization. We just need to get back to gratitude, get back to Eucharist. Eucharist means thanksgiving. If everyone was walking around thankful and grateful, I think there'd be a lot more peace on earth, right? I know within myself, I'm a lot better when I start off with thanks and praise than, you know, identifying, uh, you know, something that's, you know, I, I would prefer for it to be different. And there's a lot of things we need the strength to change and to address. We're aware of those things, like protecting life is sacred from conception to natural death, but... We need to have grateful hearts, thankful hearts, including, you know, that would even lead to being grateful and thankful for other people who might even disagree with you or have different positions. Not that you're going to agree with their positions. You're going to agree with the Catholic position. That's it. What our king and our queen say, that's what we say. We belong to the kingdom. We don't belong to this world. But nonetheless, we're going to be grateful that God created this person, and that God loves this person, and we're going to love them enough to help them get close to God 
And it starts with gratitude instead of looking at them as, as someone I need to fix. No. I'll admit, okay, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is getting recorded, but even if it is, that's okay. I'll be on tape recorded. I used to be a fixer. I used to think that was love. Then one day my sister, Michelle Mary, said to me, Zach, okay, that's my sister. She can call me Zach. She said, Zach, women don't need you to fix their problems. And I looked at her like, what? They don't need me to fix. That's what I do. I fix problems. She said, no, just watch how women relate. And she explained to me how women communicate and relate. They just need you to listen. Try it. So I went back to my parish at that point, and I listened, and I listened, and I listened some more, and I listened. And at the end, I said, I don't know, I might have said something as simple as, you know, God loves you. Oh, Father understands me so well. I feel so close to God, whatever it might be. I called up my sister. It works. Now pray for me that I can make it the full hour when uh, those conversations take place. But anyway, that's, that's another story. But a life of gratitude. It's right in the sense, right in the word Eucharist. The second point is a life that is given. All our lives are to be given. It comes from the very life of the Trinity within himself. The Father gives himself to the Son. The Son gives himself to the Father. The Father and the Son give themselves to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives himself to the Father and the Son. You understand? It's all total giving. Our lives are meant for giving. In fact, the word forgiving is also very important. We're supposed to be forgiving people. Forgiving. Our life is forgiving. That's Jesus' first words on the cross, right? So our life is given, and that's what the Eucharist teaches us. When Jesus, in fact, says, you know, take and eat. This is my body, which is what? Given up for you. Wow. Similar when he pours out his blood for the many. Wow. Wow. Our life is forgiving, forgiven, forgiving. The third point is that we have to recognize that in the power of Jesus, the blood that was shed for us is a saving act. And so the Holy Father says we have a life that is saved, quote unquote, in order to save. Now, as Catholics, we don't say, you know, once saved, always saved, right? We, we are justified by faith, but we must work out our salvation, right? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will make it into heaven. But we do need to live a life of gratitude and trust in God, that it's his desire to save us. And we have to realize that, that we, in a certain sense, have been... Um, 
chosen as privileged heralds of a message of salvation. That's what the Holy Father says. But how can we be convincing heralds unless we really allow the Eucharistic Lord to redeem us and save us? You know, the more you have a relationship with the Eucharistic Lord that Our Lady teaches you, the more you understand how he, like last night, he's healing you, he's saving you, he's, he's redeeming you continually. When you really are aware of that truth, then you're going to be convincing when you're sharing that truth with other people. Understand? If you're aware of how Jesus is loving you in the Eucharist, I'll just make it simple like that. If you're aware of how he's loving you, you're going to be better at loving other people because he's the source and the summit of our life. There's the source of your love. So you're aware of him loving you, so then you're able to go love others. And you help people get to that point. But... The Holy Father says, holiness, in fact, is the full expression of salvation. And this will lead us to a missionary fervor. That's what's needed in the church, a missionary fervor. And missionary fervor, then the Holy Father quotes 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22 from St. Paul. We become all things to all men in order to save at least some of them. Now, again, when I taught theology, everything has to be properly understood. Become all things to all men, all things honorable, all things admirable, all things worthy, right? So, I'm not going to become a woman in order to save some other people. I'm going to become all things to all men. Like Jesus is in the Eucharist. He's available. He's present, you know. One of the titles we have for Jesus in the Eucharist is the real presence, right? When we're relating to other people, are we really present to them? There's a good examination. That could be for another retreat. But I don't know. Let's just say this was a smartphone. I do want to set the world on fire, but let's say this was a smartphone. And I'm talking to you, but I'm sitting there. Oh, mm, mm, uh uh-huh. Oh, am I really present to you? Is that the real presence? There's the real presence. He teaches us so much. And people can tell. People can tell. Again, based on, you know, contemplating the face. You know, you can tell even when the priest comes in to celebrate the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass, how he genuflects and reverences the altar and conducts himself right away as to whether he really believes or not, right? Not that we're trying to be judgmental. It's just certain things are communicated. And we need to communicate that God loves people and that part of that is being present to them present to them, the real presence. So we have a life of gratitude, a life that is given, a life that is saved in order to save, although we still have to work out our salvation, but accept the gift that 
Jesus did shed his blood for you. And he's given his flesh for the life of the world. That's John's Gospel, chapter 6, in the first letter of St. John, two verse, chapter 2, verse 2. Then we have a life that remembers. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering fully the mystery of Christ. And this was one of the things, I, I hope I can communicate this to you, this point. This really was on my heart to communicate to you during this retreat. Now that we've already laid some foundations and gone deeper. Our Blessed Mother when she would participate in the holy sacrifice of the Mass after Jesus ascended, okay, even though, remember, we said in the Annunciation, she had a special experience of Jesus coming into her womb, and there's great analogies to the holy sacrifice of the Mass there. We went through that. When our Blessed Mother was at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, whether it was St. Peter or St. James or St. John or any of the apostles celebrating the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, remember, Our Lady listened, pondered, and treasured. She had all these things in her heart. So at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, she had in her heart all the things that Jesus had done. And does all the mysteries of the rosary going up to the ascension. Basically, you know, the mysteries of the rosary coming up to the ascension prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit are really well summarized in St. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 28. The Lord Jesus says, I came from the Father, I came into the world. Now I leave the world, and I go back to my Father. There's your four sets of mysteries. I came from the Father is the joyful mysteries. I came into the world is the luminous mysteries. I'm leaving the world is the sorrowful mysteries. And I'm going back to my Father are the glorious mysteries, right? St. John's Gospel, 1628. I love those mysteries and it's, well, because they're about Jesus, who I love, and, and our Blessed Mother teaches me how to love Jesus, but also because I'm a missionary. We're all missionaries, though. We all are missionaries. The church, by her nature, is missionary. You're all missionaries. But I'm a missionary who has the privilege of going to some remote countries, And I learned from Jesus, who's the first and perfect missionary. What a mission. He comes from heaven into the womb of Mary. All the mysteries of joy, growing in a holy family in wisdom, age, and grace, the importance of family life. That's a mission, working on family life now, today. Then going to his public ministry, teaching, casting out demons, working miracles, but then ultimately 
going to the cross, being buried, rising from the dead, and ascending into heaven, that's a mission. That is the mission. Wow. You know, going to a foreign country, sometimes people say, wow, you're, you're going to go over to Asia, Father, or you're going to go to Central America? Yes, but think about it. Jesus came to earth <laughs> to enter into our humanity. <laughs> That's what a missionary has to do is, is, you know, enter into people's humanity, wherever they are, and then lift them up. And that's what the Eucharist also teaches me, by the way. You know, Jesus becoming small. It's, it's important to get underneath everybody. That's what Jesus does, and that's what Mary does. Mary's the first and perfect disciple of Jesus. They get little and humble so they can get underneath everybody because only if you're underneath everybody can you lift them all up to God. You understand? Only if you get underneath people can you lift them up to God. But I'll admit, from, even from my own experience, sometimes, you know, I tend to try to leave, you know, two or three people at least below me, so just in case. <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking. i got to get underneath everybody. It's those insecurities of human beings, you know. But if you can just get underneath everybody and lift them up to heaven, what a great life. But a life that remembers. So, Jesus, you know, at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, is hoc facite in meum commemorationem. Okay, do this in memory of me. But as I said, that memory is to make all the past present. And so the Holy Father points out how, you know, this... Remembrance includes how the Israelites were relieved from the Exodus first and foremost, but also other important events of history, the call of Abraham, the sacrifice of Isaac, the covenant of Sinai, the many acts of God in defense of his people. But for Christians, the Eucharist is a memorial that's so unique, it not only commemorates but sacramentally makes present the death and resurrection of the Lord. The Eucharist sacramentally makes present the death and resurrection of the Lord. It's not just a remembrance. One of the ways I was trained to serve people at the moment of death, a very important point in people's lives, how you die is maybe one of the most important moments of your life. Are you dying in a state of grace? but also to minister to other people. Our founder shared with me that when I'm ministering to people, I need to be the resurrection and the life to them. I need to be in Jesus. Jesus Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, I was the resurrection and the life. He doesn't say, remember the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Right there in the Eucharist, there's the resurrection and the life. You want resurrection, you want life, right there. Sacramentally made present. You want to die to yourself, maybe, maybe not, but the point is we know we have to. 
There's how you're going to learn how to die. How to live your baptism. You died. Your life is no longer yours. The key to holiness, one of the ways to approach holiness, is to realize Jesus is the center, or God is the center. Jesus is God. God is the center of your life. We need God. And our life is not our own. You're so happy when your life's not your own. Married people, when they come to get married, they stand before the altar of God. What are they saying at the deepest level when they say that they love each other and they're making this commitment of the vocation of holy matrimony? They're not just saying we love each other and want the highest and best good for the other, which is heaven. That's certainly part of what they're saying. But what they're saying to God is, our lives belong to you. That's what married people are saying before God. Our lives belong to you. And that's what a priest says. That's what consecrated do. Our lives are not our own. Don't be afraid. It's a wonderful call. And so then the Holy Father goes into a consecrated life, Mysterium Fidei. Basically that our lives are sacred. I hope you do see that you're called to live a sacred life, that you've been called out of this world, even though we're in this world. You've been chosen. You've been called and chosen. You've been consecrated. I, sometimes I give a retreat on the four, four C's. I, obviously, as I've shared, I like letters. They help me remember, but four C's. I actually start off with your chosen and then you're called. And then you're consecrated and then you're commissioned. You have a mission. Okay? The reason I start off with chosen because we're told in Ephesians, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. God chose us in him before the world began to be holy and righteous in his sight. That's scriptural, right? God chose us in Christ before the world began to be what? Holy and righteous in his sight. And one translation goes on to say, and full of love. I, I don't know why they take that out sometimes, but it's actually in there. And full of love. To be holy and righteous and full of love. But this is before the foundation of the world you were chosen. But then you were called. There's that passage that says, those who God foreknew, he predestined. Those who he predestined, he likewise called. Those he called... He, in turn, justified those who he justifies, he glorifies. It's a process. It's a process. We don't just stop at just predestination alone, but you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, yet, sometimes, you know, when we hear Jesus, we, we do hear the Lord say, many are called, but few are chosen. There was this holy bishop that gave a 
homily to our seminarians, and I, I like this, he said, many are called, but few allow themselves to be chosen. That was an eye-opener. Many are called, but few allow themselves to be chosen. You know, this goes back to this whole message here about, you know, accepting the love of Christ, accepting his saving grace, accepting his redemption, letting him work in your life, a life that's full of gratitude, a life that's given, a life that remembers, living a consecrated life. Our lives are not our own. And so God has a plan. You go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I think the plan of God is mentioned over 100 times in the Catechism. The plan of God. God's got a plan. And integral to that plan is Mary because her life is centered in Jesus. And Jesus is at the heart of the plan. But one of the titles of Jesus is the new Adam. And one title of Mary is the new Eve. So the new Adam and the new Eve work together to bring forth the new creation, right? And that's happening right now with the presence of our Eucharistic Lord. May his Eucharistic reign come through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But we need to take time to place ourselves before Jesus in the Eucharist to take time of moments of solitude, moments of solitude, and fill these moments with his presence. That's Eucharistic adoration. To enliven our consecration by our personal relationship with Christ. You know, you have to admit the, the Protestants really have that part right. They have a lot of things right, but you know, they need to come to the fullness. But that personal relationship with Jesus is so important. It really is. We relate to a living God. So I, have, I belong to a religious community. Our spirituality is Marian Trinitarian relationships and it's all focused on real personal relationships with the Father as Mary teaches us to have a relationship with the Father. A real personal relationship with Jesus as Mary teaches us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. A real living personal relationship with the Holy Spirit as Mary teaches us to have that personal relationship with, with the Holy Spirit. That's why I joined my community. That spirituality, to be honest. Personal relationships. I'll share with you that I have the privilege many times of giving retreats to a wonderful community called the Missionaries of Charity. And St. Mother Teresa, before she died, a few years before she died, she wrote a letter to all of her sisters in the world from Varanasi, India. They all carry this Varanasi letter with them. And she wrote it during Holy Week before the Lord in the Eucharist. And she said, I hope you review this letter in front of the Lord where it was written. And on the very first page, one of the points she makes is she goes, I'm afraid, my sisters, that some of you don't know Jesus. That's quite a statement to the missionaries of charity. These women are amazing. They come from all over the world. Many come at about age 20. 
And after they go through their initial formation and get assigned to a place for five years, wherever in the world they're assigned, they come and they do their tertiary year, and then they, they take their final vows, and then they're assigned for 10 years at a time. They, don't, they get a, a home visit once every 10 years. I mean, and then to be told, I'm afraid some of you don't know Jesus. But her point was that, you know, even religious can be relating to a Jesus who's an idea, a book Jesus, an ethical code Jesus, and all that's there. But we're talking about a living God, a God who rose from the dead, a God who's present right now, a personal relationship with him. Now, when, when we talk about the, the, the thing why many Catholics back away from the personal relationship, I think, in my experience, is because, because we've seen too many times when people say, I have the personal relationship, they start to make Jesus into their personal Jesus. And no, Jesus is Jesus. and He's God. <laughs> you know, and, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> He existed before we existed. And he, ontologically, that's a big word, you know. He, he is the truth that existed before I exist, and there is objective truth. And so having a personal relationship doesn't mean, you know, I just make Jesus into, like, you know, my Jesus, and you have your Jesus, and you have your Jesus. There's only God how he revealed himself. But he does relate to us all personally. He knows every cell of our being. You know how we're all, we all marvel, I hope, at the, the universe, at the stars and the sky and the galaxies and the way that, that God has created in his, in his manifest goodness and overflowing joy. But we also have to understand there's an, an interior universe, an interior life that we have. As I stress, that's very important, your interior life. That interior life of Jesus, the interior life of Mary, so important. God knows every cell of your being. He knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows, he placed some of those, those holy desires he placed in you. Those holy preferences, those holy tastes. He gave you certain personalities to carry out the mission he has for you. And there's only one of you. You're unique, precious, and unrepeatable. Nobody was like you before. Nobody will be like you again. And God's got a plan for your life. But you're consecrated. And so then the Holy Father, before going to that Eucharistic life at the School of Mary, comes to a life centered on Christ. Pointing out that as St. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And remember, Paul said, I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards this goal. The Holy Father's talking about evangelizing by having a... Well, it's pretty... I can smile here because he says, you know, the priest, even despite the passing of years, you know what he's saying there, I'm getting there, continues to radiate youthfulness 
spreading it almost contagiously among those whom he meets along the way. His secret lies in his passion for Christ. And so if our life is truly more holy, more joyful, more impassioned, we're going to win people for Christ. You've heard that saying, win people for Christ? Let's do it. The world needs it. That's going to solve what's facing the world right now, right? We have to believe. But one who is won by Christ, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, more easily wins others for Christ so that they too decide to enter onto the same adventure. Wow. Amazing. Our Lady's going to teach us all this because Mary wants to gather all the people of the world. She's a mother. Don't mothers try to gather their children despite what they've done? Mothers do that, right? Right, mothers? Mothers are amazing. Back to chapter 6 of At the School of Mary, Woman of the Eucharist, relating back to the Magnificat, which is a summary of a Eucharistic hymn of praise, a hymn of praise to the Most Holy Trinity, what I talked to you about, making your life a hymn of praise to the Most Holy Trinity. That's the Magnificat, right? But I will share with you, I, I belong to a community that's called the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. I love to preach on Our Lady. I love to preach on the Trinity. But before every Trinity Sunday, after going deeper and deeper into the mystery of the Trinity, the Lord always brings me to a point of saying, I don't know anything. Before the mystery of the Trinity, I don't know anything. And I always come to the point of saying it basically comes down to the Gloria, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, right? The Gloria, our life should be a Gloria. It comes down to the Gloria in the Mass. I praise you, I bless you, I adore you, I glorify you, I give you thanks for your great glory, right? It comes down to the Tadeum, which we will sing on Sundays, right? The Tadeum. You are God, we praise you, you are the Lord, we acclaim you, you are the eternal Father, all creation worships you. It goes on, wow. It comes down to praise. And then once I get in that mode, then the Lord gives me some things to share with the people that help them get into a relationship with the Trinity. But you know the four great mysteries of the church I don't know if you know them, but there's four great mysteries. There's many mysteries, but the four great mysteries, and mystery doesn't mean it can't be, it can't be entered into. That's not what a mystery means. It means that it is beyond our limitations as a human being, and faith, hope, and charity will help us get there, but not until we're in heaven will we have vision. On this earth, we have faith. In heaven, we'll have vision, the beatific vision. But the four great mysteries are the most holy trinity. Three divine persons, one God, right? That's 
great mystery. The second mystery is God becoming man, the incarnation and the redemption. Jesus Christ, the eternal word who assumes our human nature, the incarnation, and then goes to the cross and dies for us. A God who loves us so much that he dies for us. That's mysterious. That's why some people don't accept Jesus yet, because they just can't understand how a God would die for his people. The third great mystery is the Most Holy Eucharist. And the fourth great mystery is the Holy Catholic Church, one Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. And that's a mystery because it's one holy, the holy, holy Catholic Apostolic Church, yet it's made up of a bunch of sinners. Holy and sinners, that's a mystery. How does that work, right? Well, you need to read your catechism. That's not the focus of this, this retreat. But it's because it's a divine institution. It's Jesus who is the head and Jesus who is the body. We're the body of Christ. And so it's a holy church, but it's a mystery, okay? There's other mysteries like grace and free will. How does grace work and free will work? That's a great mystery, right? God gave us free will, yet you know the, how the grace works, so forth, so on. But going back to the Magnificat, oh, and that's part of Trinity Sunday as well, eventually that hymn of praise, the Magnificat. So in addition to the Gloria, the Glory Be, and then the, uh, the Glory at the Mass and the Te Deum, there is the Magnificat of Our Lady, a hymn of praise to the Most Holy Trinity. And what the Holy Father says is that Mary praises God through Jesus, but she also praises God in Jesus and with Jesus. And the Holy Father says, this is itself the true, quote-unquote, Eucharistic attitude. Through him, with him, in him. Right? Through Jesus, with Jesus, in Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you get consecrated to Jesus through Mary, after I've studied St. Louis Marie de Montfort many, many years and shared about the consecration, there's many things that can be said about it, but every morning in my morning offering, I ask Our Lady, may I do everything by, through, with, in, and for you, so I can do everything by, through, with, in, and for Jesus. That comes from true devotion, basically. But you have to read different parts to put it together. But to do everything by the Spirit of Mary, which essentially is to try to do things by the, by the Holy Spirit. Doing things through, G, through Mary and Jesus in the Paschal Mystery. We'll get to that in this final conference, this, I mean the conference this evening, and then it's appropriate tomorrow morning we'll go into the Glorious Mysteries. But to do things by Mary, through Mary and Jesus in the Paschal Mystery, with Mary, with her virtues, part of consecration to her, to Jesus in her, is that she will give you her virtues. Her ten principal virtues are lively faith, profound humility, 
blind obedience, that needs to be understood properly. Blind obedience doesn't mean just walking around with your eyes closed and just saying, like a robot, yes, tell me what to do. Blind obedience means giving your free will fully to God, and it means being blind to yourself, self-forgetfulness. Mary never thought about herself, blind to herself, blind obedience. So lively faith, profound humility, blind obedience, mortification in all things, continual mental prayer, ardent charity, surpassing purity, heroic patience, not just patience, heroic patience, angelic sweetness, and divine wisdom. Those are her ten principal virtues, according to St. Louis Marie de Montfort. So you do everything by the Spirit of Mary, through her and Jesus in the Paschal Mystery, with her virtues, in her Immaculate Heart, and for her honor, so that you can do things by Jesus and through Jesus and with Jesus and in Jesus and for Jesus. And essentially that brings you to the Mass, because through him, with him, in him. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. So Mary brings you to that Eucharistic reality in the consecration to Jesus through Mary. So this evening we'll go to the Sorrowful Mysteries, and uh, then tomorrow morning the Glorious Mysteries on Sunday. But I wanted to go more into the Eucharist, since this retreat is Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the tenth lumin- I mean the tenth mystery of the Rosary, which is the fifth luminous mystery, and to go into all these teachings about Our Lady and the Eucharist and to help you live that life, to take it into the world so that you can truly live a life that is Eucharistic by being grateful, by giving yourself, by knowing that you're being saved when you're open to the action of Jesus and to help others be saved, to remember all that God has done for you, to live a consecrated way of life, and to have your life centered in Christ so you'll be living a Eucharistic life. And so those four C's were you were chosen before the foundation of the world. God called you. You're consecrated, set apart from this world in baptism and other consecration. And then you're commissioned, which means a mission, with mission, commissioned to go take Jesus, the Eucharistic Lord, to others as Mary brings Jesus to others.